realize that these technologies are intentionally decalibrating. They destabilize you and your nervous system. The only way to recalibrate is to make eye contact with another human being in real life. Breathe in a room with someone else in real life. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute, in which we interview people we call cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, asking each one of them our one question, in light of all that seems to be going wrong, what could possibly go right? And today's guest is my dear friend, Douglas Rushkoff. Uh, we met on a podcast and we had so much fun. I went over to his podcast and then he came back to mine and who knows where this is going. But anyway, we've had Douglas before and it's just a completely delightful conversation. Uh, that's a little bit longer because, well, we just couldn't land the plane. Um, so Douglas is named one of the world's 10 most influential intellectuals by MIT. And he is an author, a documentarian who studies human autonomy in a digital age. His 20 books include the just published Team Human. I think that's a little old bio, recently published, uh, based on his podcast, as well as the bestsellers, Present Shock, Throwing Rocks, at the Google Bus, Program and Be Programmed, Life Inc., and Media Virus. Rushkoff's work explores how different technological environments change our relationship to narrative, money, power, and one another. He coins such concepts as viral media, screenagers, and social currency, and has been a leading voice for applying digital media towards social and economic justice. He is a research fellow for the Institute for the Future and founder of the Laboratory for Digital Humanism at City University of New York in Queens, where he is a professor of media theory and digital economics. So here's Douglas. The idea here is just to check in. We talked about um, eight months ago, we did our, our interview. No. For this podcast, and for then like this podcast, and then we went over to five months ago. We did one for mine, and, and then three months mine. ago, we did a check in. Yeah, now we're back to yours. It's all good. Okay, and then we'll go to yours, right? Yeah. If you still have one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I just, I just wanted to sort of more freewheeling, um, mm -hmm. you know, visit the moment that we're in um, with you and get your. Um, <laughs> your your basic weirdness about it um and so i have uh you know the standard setup here is the question what could possibly go right and that's always the question because right it's always the question i mean i think i think people in the back of everybody's mind it's how bad is it and where should i go <laughs> did i miss the top of the market <laughs> right you know, is they, but there is a, you know, I think in the back of people's minds, this is this like, so, but I think what could possibly go right is sort of yeah. like a more systemic, like, let's take a look at the horizon. Um, I mean, but, I, yeah, go ahead. I, what do you see? What do you I, see? I went, I went through many, many years since I was a kid of worrying on, a, on an existential level about the, our fate as a species, the, the, 
you know, as a kid, the John Lennon record came out for the people starving in Bangladesh, mm -hmm. which made me as a six or seven year old aware that, oh my God, this is just really bad. Um, and it wasn't the only place where there was bad shit going on. And there was mean people on top of the regular bad stuff. There's actual mean people that are making it worse and, and, and creating just awful situations. So I've been thinking about it for a long time. And then with the last decade or two in my books, I keep looking at um, sort of survival tactics. And I've talked with the billionaires who are building their bunkers and their rocket ships and their private islands. And they're, they're, they're building these like pontoons on the ocean that they call seasteading, which is a whole other thing. So it's it, all the craziness of that and thinking about having a kid and what are the, as if there's sort of two choices, I could either try to earn enough money to give her a cash buffer against disaster so she can somehow, if, if civilization is still working in some Trumpian way, buy her way out of, of c calamity, or do I have to get her to stop just doing like theater and art and get her to go to a farming school so she's resilient and will be able to be a, a productive member of a Canadian commune, you know, and used to sleeping with bugs and stuff rather than wanting to go to the Ritz Carlton. Um, all those kind of things. And also looking at my own life and what I've gotten and what I haven't gotten, enough sex, enough money, enough travel, enough this, enough that. And it's all come down to me to this very, very same uh, conclusion, which is just less, just mm -hmm. less. That all the things that I strive for or think I want, and it sounds a little Buddhist, but whatever they are, they're just alternative to whatever it is I'm having now. So it's like, okay, here I am speaking with you, melding minds, hearts, and souls together in ways that people who are listening could only guess at how, how profound the, the interlope of our beings is right now. Um, and that's fine. Let them guess. But so I could say, okay, oh, but I could go be over there fucking something, or I could be racing a car. Ooh, I could have a rocket ship experience, or I could go do ayahuasca in South America right now, and then I'd see some machine elves. It's like, yeah, I could be doing any one of, but what am I doing right now? What am I just doing? And I feel like if, if people just did that much, they'd be getting in cars a heck of a lot less. They'd be consuming a heck of a lot less. They'd be fighting with other people over stuff a heck of a lot less. And they'd be worrying a heck of a lot less about where do I go in order to avoid this? You know, everybody who moves somewhere in order to avoid the apocalypse, they're going to be like that, that there was a, 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 another one of those William Shatner Twilight Zones where they're like, get a fortune cookie or something that says they're going to die. So they run quickly and then they get run over, you know? So it's like when you go to do the thing to avoid the thing that you're afraid of, you're going to bring it on anyway. So exactly. I always wanted to move to the Pacific Northwest to get away from climate change and all that, because I always heard, you know, Vancouver and Portland and Washington that do we want to go there? It's always there or Minneapolis are supposed to be the places that you go and sort of stay in America and avoid, well, look at you guys, you were just 110 in the shade, right? You know, the total apocalypse and Jay Inslee is like in now permanent death state, or he had some great quote, right? We're in permanent death mode now. He had a word for it. It wasn't that, but it was almost that bad, permanent 
bad. Um, no, permanent emergency? Is that what he called it? Yeah, permanent mm. emergency. <laughs> okay, great. So you guys are in permanent emergency. So why don't just stop wriggling? I'm, I'm not mm. wriggling. And once you stop wriggling, even if you can just do it for eight or nine seconds at a time, like I can now, it's, I'm building my endurance. It's like sex was, you know, eight seconds, nine seconds, or after 12, yay. Uh, so I could, I could not wriggle for 12 seconds at a time, not worry, not look over my shoulder, not have an erotic pop thing up. You know, I can meditate for 12 seconds now too, almost 13. Um, it, it, I feel like that'll, that'll, it's the first step towards a whole lot, towards all the stuff that Nate Hoggins at, at mm -hmm. you know, at, at, at uh, the Post Carbon Institute is asking us to do when, when we're looking like I could spend, I could spend a whole lot of internet time and uh, internet cycles of energy researching whether to get an electric car or a carbon car. I could probably spend more than a car's lifetime of energy just researching or looking at Netflix videos because of all the energy that they spend to get a car that is marginally better than the other car when I probably shouldn't be getting another car anyway or trading in the car I have if I can make it work or using a car at all if I really don't need to. So it's like, so many problems go away. So many choice points, so many decision matrices don't need to be even drawn up if you just decide it's fine. It's, I'm just fine. I'm not saying ignore all the problems in the world, but at least on a personal level, just it's fine. You're fine. You're safe. Your feet are on the ground, whatever's going on, even with that little bit of cancer growing over here or a little bit of psychosis growing over there. Still right now, right now, here we are, start from that. And I just feel there's so much, I, I, I feel it, I feel so much less obligated to address mm. so many things and I feel like in some ways I do more good by doing less than by doing whatever good action I thought I should take. Do you think that's your age? I mean, I'm sorry to bring up the A word, you know, but, but I mean, you know. I mean, to just settle and be a, go, go into court. You're, pose you're and an die. altar You're an altar okay? <laughs> right. And as an altar cocker, you finally get to the place of, well, why move over there if I'm over here? <laughs> Exactly. Over here is fine. Over <laughs> here is fine. The shade is a bit over there. Well, why is he over there? Why is my <laughs> chair here? No, altar cockers don't. They're like, he got the better chair. Nurse, <laughs> nurse, wheel me over there. Why does he get the good? I don't think it goes away if you have it. You know? It's just, you know, I, I, I do feel like there is a, there is a, it's sort of like the tide, you know, there's a, and, and people are so weird about death that, you know, the fact that everybody look around, everybody who's here in a hundred years is not going to be here for some reason or another, you know, this is not our planet. <laughs> you know, we just were born into it. We're going to die yeah. out of it, you know? So, so, um, at my age, <laughs> I just am feeling like I want to divest. I'm like, 
I want to, I want to divest from things. And of course, what you're talking about is divesting from wriggling, trying to wriggle. Yeah. But there were times, and I look back on my life at the times I was happiest. Um, I remember a moment in middle school when I was on my bicycle in the early part of the summer and I wasn't having to go to camp or do anything. I think I had a job or something and I was on my bike and I just thought, I am free. I could go Mm -hmm. anywhere I want. I don't have to be home till seven. I'm just like, wow. And, and I had, I was overwhelmed by the, 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 satisfaction of the wind coming at me yeah, on, I was riding sure. on this bike. It wasn't even the good bike that the other kids had. It was my shit Royce Union, whatever bike from Larchmont, you know, and, and not the good one, a chopper or whatever the kids had. I was just so happy with that. I remember when I got into uh, art school and I got to this place and I had my little bed and I put my, my Brecht and my Arto and my whatever under my little bookshelf in there. And I was going to have three years just to do theater, just to do theater Mm -hmm. for three years. I was just like, oh, this is the life. This is the life. And when I look at those situations I had, they were not, um, and yeah, I'm saying this as a a, a middle-class privileged white guy, but they were not, uh, uh, aspirational they weren't to get something else they weren't developmental they weren't profitable they were just mm, i'm just here i'm just here you know just sitting with a kid looking at a bug crawling on the sidewalk you know uh and i just feel like that is so missing from our culture. That's what gets people going to the Walmart every week for another one of these or a plastic one of those, you know, and, and on that treadmill, you know, where, where we work one day a week to support the vehicle that we use to get to work. What? I, know. I know. Yeah. So, so, so how much of this, uh, I'm just sort of following your energy. It's like how much of this is, is manufactured by, you know, media advertising, you know, you and I have both told this story, you know, about how, you know, after, you know, sometime after World War One, I, I think it was, you know, the industrial revolution had provided everybody with the thing that they thought that they would never have that only rich people have, and they got that thing. And then they had enough. Yeah. And then the whole machinery of industrialization was going to shut down because people weren't buying stuff. Yeah. So there was a, I think it was, it was a relative of Freud, this guy Bernal. Bernays. Um, yeah. Bernays. Yeah. So he, he, you know, you may know the story better than I do, but you know, this like manufactured desires is the only way that keeps the machine going. And so in a way, which what we're talking about, it were two people who've like at least had a window seat on the <laughs> the, the jetliner that is driving everybody off the cliff. At least we've been mm-hmm. able to see out the window, go like, "Hey guys, this this doesn't work. You know, this is not right. good. Right? <laughs> Land the plane. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, there's terrorist here, and it's called the consumer culture. Um, yeah. So and so we we just we're sort of I'm looking at this uh, particularly now because I've, I've just gotten so reactive politically. And I just like, I'm one of the ones who's like, 
you know, I read something on Facebook and I go like, this will not stand. And I'm out there, you know, typing and like, and, and it's just like, no, Vicky, don't do that. That, that That's unreal. You're, you're doing unreal to unreal. And so is it, is it that we have, is it like St. Vitus dance? Is it like, you know, when, <laughs> when the, when the, when the peasants ate, the 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 um, rye the the fungus on the rye bread and went crazy. Are we are we in an insanity? Are we are we in an insanity? You know that has been oh. manufactured that we were. It wasn't as insane as you when you and I were born. Things were simpler when I was a girl. But well, you can make an argument they were more insane. When we were, I mean, you and I were basically raised in the television media environment, which was about promoting uh, uh, an illusion, a fantasy, you know, television and film, it's, it's fantasy. And they use that fantasy to get us to buy stuff, mm-hmm. to consume. You know, the digital media environment is fundamentally different than the television environment. It's not about fantasy. It's so much more about memory and retrieval. And what I would argue that in a television environment, we kind of dream our, our, our reality. It's about, about fantasizing things. And in a digital media environment, it's so much more about doing. It's about production, about making. You know, in, uh, kids on TikTok are making TikToks. In addition to watching them, they're, they're doing. And we're digital technologies not so environmentally destructive themselves, um, it would actually have been, or still could be, a very positive turn. In other words, rather than buying a ton of plastic crap and longing for more plastic crap and mommy, mommy, take me to Walmart so I could buy more plastic things that we stick in landfill and torture Chinese children to make and then torture them to, to throw away for us, um, if we were spending our time, if kids were spending their time making stuff, you know, creating Minecraft environments for other kids to play in. I know it's a little virtual and electronic and digital, but that aside, as an activity, I, I find it still more, more inspiring and positive that a kid would be creating a game online for other kids to play than watching a show like Baywatch that makes him want to get skinny and buy a bathing suit or something or uh-huh. buy stuff. That it's not about consumption as much, that the, the, the doing is the thing. And, yeah, but in that medium, yeah. it's like the in TikTok, it, it's it's all there's a consumptive quality. Anyway, I agree with you. Yeah. You know, everybody's a creative, but here's the the, the game. The context of the game is um, eyeballs. So people start doing you know anything for eyeballs, you know, for likes. And then the second thing is monetizing. You know, it's like yeah. what, we, what we used to give for free. I mean, people have said to me about this podcast, you know, you could monetize this. I, I was like, I probably could, you know, and um, hey, how about product placement? Yes, this scotch yeah. tape is like, I bought this 100 years ago. No, that's not a product. No, <laughs> but you know, all, it's all Viagra on these podcasts. I've been listening, Viagra and uh, other, uh, other stimulants. So, so there's, there's eyeballs, there's money, 
there's um, your 15 minutes of fame, but there's too many people on the planet. So divide right. minutes by people and you get right. like, you get 30 seconds you, of you fame. You would hope that it would change though, like the, because the digital environment is so prone to metrics and generic metrics that people look at success as, oh, I have 175,000 people who've said they like it, you know, and somehow it's not as satisfying to know there's 30 people who really, really like it. And that's who I'm, I mean, exactly. if it was the real world and you're going to play in a bowling alley or in a bar in your band and there's 30 to 50 people that just love yeah. you and they show up every Thursday night, Go, yeah, free bird, you know, whatever it is that you're playing, free bird, there's another old person reference, <laughs> um, uh, whatever it is that you're doing, but, but the amount of love that you would feel from that, from those 30 to 50 people live in a thing is so, oh, I think it's more than the girl who gets 175,000 people liking her, you know, Twitter when she shows, you know, from the breasts up. So this is, you know, the two things you've, you've talked about so far, the 50 things you've talked about so far that I'm summarizing these two is um, <laughs> simplifying your life and, Thank you. and, and love, you know, and the, the, the genuine pleasure from, real other real human beings showing up for you like in the pandemic you know it's it's been a very interesting time i'd love to hear some of your thoughts about you know what actually did go right in the pandemic but it's um people became so precious you know sure. i live i live by myself and so you know i wasn't potting <laughs> at home with somebody and any person i got to see masks whatever that was so precious. You know, it's sort of like a reminder of how precious real human interaction is. You know, the jazz of it, the, the call and response of it, the, you know, like, like posting something that you need some help and somebody comes over and helps you. Yeah. I just had, I just had a hip surgery and, um, Man, I had about two dozen people who signed up from this little care calendar, you know, and food and people who came over and they were they were assigned to haranguing me to get out of bed and do my exercises and they did it, Aww. you know. And it was it was just so full of love. It was so full of love. And it I would have to, you know, go back to work and work for another 10 years to get the kind of insurance that I could have had where some professional would be paid to do that. So yeah, I'm just saying that have we lost that entirely? I mean, is that going away or how do we have that thing that um, that thing that isn't sort of mediated by media or fabricated by somebody else's imagination? You know, how do we play together? How do we make up games together in real time as humans? Is this is this sort of gone the way of the dodo bird, or is, are we having extinction of human human affection? I don't know. I I mean, I live in a neighborhood with a lot of kids, and um, and I see this the kid across the street from my house. He's like maybe eight now, and you know, I looked as the as the masks came off or whatever restrictions came off. I looked at him playing with his friends and 
touching each other so yeah. much, you know, when they're looking at a, at a thing, you know, one kid's putting his hand on the other one's shoulder while they're looking over at this bug or something. And the, the amount of contact, uh, as I see, especially boys, you know, cause of the whole male problem thing. Um, when I see boys all touching each other like that, even, you know, it, just past the age when, when they're not little kids holding their mom's hand all the time. I'm like, there is something, there is a, a, I feel like the human organism is felt it, it has reached its peak of loneliness and is trying mm. to find itself again. And it's, I mean, not, it's not going to use us mm. to do it because we're old and crusty and horrible people, but, but kids You're it's going to use it. I'm. Yeah. I'm horrible. <laughs> we're both sorry. Um, um, but you know what I mean? I mean, we're not, but our generation is, I mean, look at what we did. Um, uh, I mean, just luck. Ah. Uh, but that that you would use the new kids. If if you were like nature, nature control, you would use the new kids and say, okay, let's have a generation. Let's have them, you know, in this, in this loving, touchy feely other thing. I mean, and for all the sort of, you know, I know there's a lot of complaints about certain kinds of social justice education and all this stuff we're instilling the kids with. On the other hand, there's certain barriers that have gotten broken down where they really don't care. My God, when I was a kid doing theater, they just call me fag, 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 gay boy, whatever, as an insult all the time. It was a thing. The last thing you wanted to be was gay. And now it's like, no one cares. It's just really no one does. It's like gone, you know, and whatever they, everyone's just a they and whatever, and they're <laughs> touching and playing. And, and I mean, I know it's, it's, it's quaint and pathetic when you hear like Joe Biden say, um, right after he was president, he was like, God, you turn on the TV and you see commercials and the blacks are married to the whites and the gay couples and wow, I'm living in such a world. And you're like, oh my God, you're so naive. But he grew up in a world like we all did where that was, God, where if you were a mixed race couple, you were taking mm -hmm. a stand and you knew you were gonna get spit at in the street and some restaurants wouldn't let you sit. I mean, it was a whole friggin' thing. Yeah. Um, so the, I, I do see a, 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 a return to life mm -hmm. amongst a younger generation that is encouraging. And, and I know a lot of people, a lot of kids got screwed up by their screens and rates of depression and self-harm are greater in adolescent girls who are online and ones who aren't. And there's just all this horrible stuff. But there's also this, this, there's something good emerging too. There's something mm. more human. Uh, uh, let, uh, there's there just a less, uh, uh, less of this uh, drive toward acquisition and wanting the most stuff. And, you know, I see a few crazy middle-aged men or 20 somethings in Silicon Valley still wanting to be billionaires. But to most of us, they're crazy. We all know if you could get a million dollars, I mean, that's a whole lot of money. I mean, a billion is unimaginable. And to actually aspire to that is just, I think we all see that that's just crazy. It's just to have these numbers somewhere in a, in a bank. So do you, do you actually, I mean, besides like watching your neighborhood kids do you actually, when you look at, at, you know, the sort of the 
gen whatever, you know, I think we've run out of alphabet, but, you know, when you look at kids, you know, who are under 18, let's say, you know, like, like the one past the millennials, um, and then there's a new one coming up. Do you see um, more just, sweeter, kinder, more creative, you know, I mean, you've been mentioning some of these things. Is that, is that just sort of seat of the pants looking out the door or what, like, what is your intelligence uh, as in, you know, research on that? Well, I mean, there's a guy who I see as kind of a, a young, good looking version of myself named uh, Bo Burnham. He's a oh, yeah. young comedian. And he read my books and stuff. He was really, and, and I'm honored to say, he was really inspired and informed by my whole uh, uh, understanding of the internet and changes in culture and digital and time and what it all means. And he just did a, uh, a Netflix special during the pandemic called Inside that he made you know, in one room lo under lockdown or relative lockdown of the pandemic. And... Um, partly because he's a person in his 20s or he just turned 30 while he's making it. I mean, he's got more hormones and, and whatever, dopamine and serotonin coursing through his veins than I do. And I remember what it was like to be in my 20s. So everything is a bit more angsty, right? He's got a lot of angst, um, but he's expressive of feeling this depressed and having that much anxiety and having that much angst mm. and he feeds it into his work and he's conscious of it and all. So I look at him as in some ways emblematic and partly because of his popularity that millions of people watch him and identify with him of the Gen Z and millennial uh, uh, generation. I, I, I do use him as sort of a totem for how mm. that generation is doing or a canary in the coal mine even because he's an artist. And um on the one hand, I mean, I texted him right after I saw it, worried for him. I'm like, are you okay? Because it's so, he's so suicidal in it. He talks about oh. suicide in a way. I mean, I'm like, this is a masterwork. This is your Citizen Kane. Are you okay? Um, because I also know after Citizen Kane, Orson Welles was a wreck, right? I mean, it's a hard, it's hard to have that, you know, or sure after relativity, Einstein was a wreck too. These are 20 somethings <laughs> having these massive achievements, right? Right. Or Archimedes and the screw, right? Um, those moments were, were big. Eureka. Um, no, that was uh, that was the, the displacement of water one, but still, I'm sure he was. Yeah, in his it's okay. The incline yeah. plane, somebody did. Oh, it was Newton yeah. with the incline plane, I think. Oh, the, yeah, exactly. Another gravity, one of those. You know, right? Yeah. <gasps> uh, yeah, the apple yeah, had him on the head. Ever since, you know, right, there's Newton with the apple, right? And, and for years afterwards, he's discovered all sorts of other interesting things, maybe about bugs, but everybody yeah. wants, oh, tell us the apple story. We yeah, there's hear, the apple yeah, story. Why yeah, why did you play No, but I figured out the pen. Pendulum, ah, whatever. Pendulum, schmendulum. Yeah, we don't care. The spring, the spring. Ah, harmonic motion. Ah. Yeah. No, we want to hear about play. But, I can't get no satisfaction. That's the Rolling Stone one, you know. Yeah, exactly. I know. Anyway. I just heard a, a Bob Weir doing a, a 1975 concert version of that, and he was actually pretty good. It was sweet hearing the dead do dead do the Stones, but. But Bo and his generation, um, I feel they are, are both experiencing this more intensely than we might imagine. You know, that, that the, the, the aloof Bart Simpson Gen Xer thing 
is no more. You know, they are they are going through this and feeling it in a in a real way. Uh, and that is hopeful that they're to me that they're they're nervous systems are not shutting down, but are adjusting and trying to rise um, to this occasion. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they are rewriting the value system, mm-hmm. you know, and they may be rewriting it in a way that is bad for capitalism, mm-hmm. but um, there are, compens- <laughs> no, I don't care. There's compensatory mechanisms coming up every day. There's a, there's a cooperative uh, taxi cab company in New York. That's, got an app that's competing with uber now right in the city Mm -hmm. and everyone wants to use that because who wants alien uber when you could be you know feeding your community so i i feel like uh uh, i mean the the actual uh, physical climate tipping point of the planet might have been reached and might you know have catastrophic uh uh, results anyway Uh, Mm -hmm. but um I, I also do have hope that this generation is experiencing uh, reality on a fundamentally different way because mm. they're coming up really after the death of capitalism as an ideology. It's still functioning uh, economically and, and power structures, but it's not our ideology as a people anymore. And the, uh, 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 the death of television as the dominant media form and into something more uh, participatory and distributed. So we, we've yet to see what they do with it, but I think they're, they're more different than we give them credit for. You know, so what I'm hearing is that the kind of humans that are going to be able to adapt to what the kind of humans our generations were created for them are actually forming now. They're forming themselves and probably apart from the nattering value system of boomers, you know, like this is good and this is bad and this is what you should do. And um, so, I mean, that I really, whether it's true or not, I really like that picture because- Whether it's true or not, whether it's true or not, you know, but that's fine. I mean, when we were kids, I remember when I had six or seven records and I loved my six or seven records. I had the monkeys. Yes. I had three dogs night, uh, three dog night. I had, I, I remember my record. Then it was about collecting records. Then right. you couldn't have enough records. And that's this whole boomer buster thing of, you know, oh, and the giant row, oh, look how much vinyl I have. Kids today don't have any records at all. Maybe they'll have one or two, but everything's, they got a friggin' Spotify or, or Pandora right. or something. They don't need to own any music at all. That's a positive step in a, in a capitalist world. I mean, I, I understand it's not like, oh, ownership and, I, and your home spun this, but there's no. certain things you need to own and certain things you don't need exactly, to own. Exactly, um, and it's, it's the relational quality. It's the, that actually, you know, the, the fewer, the less capable you are of forming human bonds, the more stuff you need, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so, um, I just find this very curious because I just heard, I heard um, Yuval Harari uh, recently talking about um, AI and he said, we're in a revolution of what it means to be human. And, and for him, it was that, that the, the computational capacity beyond the human mind is going to remake us as a species in ways that we cannot even imagine the 
the un the you know the human self can't imagine the transhuman or a self and so you know that's sort of a an image that that fails to be exciting to me because uh, I'm sort of really biological you know I sort of yeah. enjoy my biology but but what you're saying is somewhat different it's sort of more like a grassroots um adaptability to an environment where that just keeps changing like I read a science fiction story once where basically the conceit was that you know the environment kept changing the sidewalk was there and then it wasn't there so the people had to get used to they had to figure out how to live in an environment that was unstable yes but that's the thing but they have to figure out how to live in it right so and have to figure out what is it what about us our humanity that we want to retrieve and make sure functions in yes. the new environment. So digital for me, my problem with digital is how it really dices everything up. I mean, I think of human humanity as like this sort of continuous flesh clay stuff and digital <laughs> is like, so all right. the little flesh clay stuff ends up each on a separate little codon. And when it's not connected, it's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, my, my humanity get broken yeah. up like that. You're you know, and that's, up. That was exactly. <laughs> that was, yeah. I mean, but I mean, just so that wasn't the technology, it was me. But, um, yeah. but I know in case it sounded so realistic. Um, but there's, there's, if we, we have to look at these environments like that. So um, I look at the, 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 augmentation offered by AI, the same way I look at the invention of speech, right? Once we invented language, we now had this whole virtual realm and I can exactly. hurt you with words and we could construct these things and you can get lost in language, which could be fun, but, but you gotta, you still be here. And then we had text, which then took language and made it once removed further. And now we can lie and write contracts and histories and who gets to write the history of what happened, gets to dominate the future, blah, who owns the slaves, it's written down. I mean, all that stuff. That's why we got Judaism was to figure out how do we be ethical in a world where there's going to be stuff written down, where my word is no longer my bond, where mm -hmm. what is this? What is the new covenant really is what we were looking at. It's, wow. it's, it's fun stuff. Now this is as that's why I wrote program or be programmed ten commands for a digital age. I was looking, right. I was trying to offer you know offer up oh we're gonna have to really think like Torah style about mm. this next migration from a, a, a an electronic world to a, a genuinely digital one. So yeah, get us so so uh, Rabbi, <laughs> <laughs> give us get uh, give us some stories or some principles for how do we do this migration that's underway? I mean, it's sort of like you, you invent language and you can't stop it. You can't go like, oops, that was a bad idea. Just go mute. <laughs> Don't remember yeah. any words, especially that one that I just said to you, stop. <laughs> you know, you can't put it back in a bottle. So what are, what's the ethics of, you know, how, how are we mentions in this sort of world of we're sort of borgs you know we're, we're we're uploaded into our technology but we're still biologic and we still have hearts and we still have, have this you know this <laughs> whether it's ayahuasca or whatever it is we have a sense that there's something going on between us you know it's like it's not it it's not all delusion it's there is there's a there there 
yeah. of humanity. I mean, what are the ethics of that? What are the, how do we navigate this? You know, I like um, um, Timothy Leary's laws of drugs. He had two laws, two ultimate about drugs. One is um, never stop a person from taking a drug they want to take and never give a person a drug without their permission. Mm. You know, and I feel like that works really well for technology too, that our engagement with any technology should be voluntary. And if someone wants, you let them go. You can't say, oh no, you can't go in that virtual reality thing. You, you, that, that, it's interesting, you know, I was thinking a lot about social justice and in my media studies department where I teach, you know, they want to do social justice and they're doing social justice in the way that they read about it on Twitter. You know, traditional social justice warriorship and it's all about, you know, um, race and gender and all those things. And I'm like, yeah, that's all good. It's all super important. But if we're in a media studies department, we're thinking about media how does social justice really apply to what we're doing? Are we brave enough to talk about it in other ways? And I think if you are a media technology, digital person, then what we're really talking about is cognitive liberty, is, is, is authority over the way I perceive and function and, and communicate. And that's such an important realm of, of activity, you know, that's being, there are, there are corporate interlopers getting between you and me in the way that we want to engage in the way that we want to mind meld and communicate with each other. And these folks do not have our best interests at heart. They're looking at how to monetize, how to extract, how to change, how to divert, how to get me to spend more time on Twitter and less time with you. Um, and that's, that's, those people are not being fair. They are the Ed Bernays's of this mm -hmm. medium, you know? And so, th so there's that. And um, I mean, so much for me, I and mean, that's what my whole team human journey was about, was um, spending some, uh, uh, some amount of time incarnate with other people. Mm -hmm. I don't mean carnally with others, although you can, <laughs> uh, but, but I almost encourage you not to, because carnally you get this whole other thing when you have sex with somebody and which is appreciative too. But what about when you're with someone not getting even that? I mean, as a guy, I think of sex as like still, I'm still old fashioned where it's like, Oh, I'm getting some sex. I'm getting to come. I'm getting to this, you know, but if it's not that, if you're just with people, just with them, not getting anything, just with, um, and even more than one person at a time, you know, just sitting around shooting this shit. Um, it's, it's calibrating, you know? So I guess my main advice is for people to, to realize that these technologies are intentionally decalibrating. They destabilize right. you and your nervous system. The only way to recalibrate is to make eye contact with another human being in real life. If you have no eyes, breathe in a room with someone else in real life. Yeah, I got no lungs, touch another person, hold their hand. There's all these ways for you to, 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 uh, encourage the, the sympathetic response of your nervous system to another nervous system. Mm -hmm. And that really does bring back, this is a dramatic way of saying it. I don't mean it this like spiritually, but it brings back the entire history of our species. Hold someone's hand and there's, there's infinity 
in it. And that infinity, then you know, okay, now I know what I want to do online or where I want to send my, my algorithms. Totally. Yeah. Uh, or the other thing is, you know, go into the garden, you know, go yeah. outdoors. And what Tyson Yunkaporta keeps telling me, stop just talking about humans. You can look at a rock and get the same thing if you know right. how. And or I'm sure at he's very right. least, at very least, you can look at a blade of grass, you know, that's something, right. that's something that's living. And you can look at a rock, but that's advanced presence. Right. But it, it's like, it's like, it's different, you know, it's like different between going out and consuming nature, you know, whether it's racing through it or like, you know, nice trees, but taking some time with, with a tree and then slowing down enough so that you are actually sort of with that tree and that tree's history. It's a very different experience. It's a very different experience. I spent quite a bit of time last weekend doing, doing things like that. Mm. You know, like hanging out with the, I live near some farmland. And uh, so there's cows every day grazing. And, you know, so it's the cows. Isn't it nice that we have farmland with some cows on it? You know, like down the hill, you know, oh, there are the cows, you know, <laughs> or oh, and we have other farmland where there's sheep, you know, and oh, aren't those cute lambs? <laughs> you know, and you just hang out, like I just hung out with the steer. Oh. It was just like, it you was, know, I don't mean to be holy, holy about this. I'm just saying that it's a quality of attention that there's another living being right there that you are not consuming that has an autonomous existence and you can have a relationship that you can actually feel the energy between you. It's, it's yeah. I had a quote on the wall once it said, uh, love is the very difficult realization that someone other than you is real. Yeah. That's great. I got this with my bunny. Um, not my bunny. There's a bunny that lives in my backyard. We call it Douglas Bunny for <laughs> reasons that don't matter. But um, it's in the yard. And I was out like, like texting or something. I went and I sat in a chair in the yard and I saw the bunny and the bunny saw me. And I could tell the bunny got in that position of like, oh, shit, do I run? And it looked at me like in that scared way. And I was just sitting there and didn't move. I look at the bunny. We're making eye contact. And the bunny kind of breathes a little bit. It kind of shrugged. And then he kept eating its little clover or whatever it was eating there. And I knew the bunny and me are in the yard together. We exactly. really were. We were together. It knew I was there. It regard. We're in the, it knows I'm the one who lives right. in that house. And that right. was like, so me and the bunny. And it was better than having a pet on a certain level. Cause it right. was just. It was a free exchange. It was a, yeah. it was unconstrained. It's like, so I think there is, you know, one thing I'm taking away from what you're saying is, is basically to be able to sort of like, you know, like paw through the junkyard of, of the um, mediated world and connect with things that are actual real companions on a living planet you know, connect with a companion yeah. on a living planet, you know, just have, and that will remind you of something that's inside you because even critical thinking, because I thought you're, you know, part of what you're talking about is like kids have to like 
we all have to be able to decode the messages that were the ways we're being manipulated, the ways we're right. being constructed. We have, and so that is a, a thing called critical thinking. And then that's a new you know discipline that we must teach. Yeah. And, and I think it I think it has to sit on top of what I'm getting from you is it sits on top of a bonding with things that are real. And be, out of that you want to be able to decode what in my environment is you know constructed for me you know this is a truman show you know what's constructed for me that's trying to manipulate me into like buying a product and what's what's real what are the pre-existing conditions of nature i mean it's interesting and it makes me think of two things one is you know the digital realm is so much about choice that's the whole thing that's the whole premise is that you get to choose. That's the, that's the reason we build technology. So you could choose to be in the light or the dark, not just mm-hmm. the dark, you know, you can choose to be here or in Chicago because totally. there's an airplane. So the whole digital realm is about choice and customization and more choice, 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 choice. We don't want to translate that obsession with choice to the real world where it's like, wait a minute, I'm in the yard. Uh, uh, there's a bunny, get rid of the bunny. Do I keep the bunny? Get rid of the bunny. No, no it's just a bunny. You know, to, and to learn to, to, for us to adapt to things rather than choosing things yes. to be with things is really, it's hard for people. And maybe this is, this links into, I'm, I'm moving around here because my cat is trying I to guess. insert herself into the, the thing. It's all good. But, because um, <laughs> seems me, she's like grabs the screen. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, maybe this is some, possible future coming out of young people learning how to adapt to this changing landscape. And some of the adaptations will be online and some will be in real life. And I think there's something else I'm taking away from you, which is it, which is that, you know, human beings have it's happening maybe faster now, but we have always been on the edge of the known. As soon as we started to have like, you know, yeah. some self-consciousness, some enough, whatever it was that, that we could be aware of ourselves in time, we've always been on the edge of the known. And, and um, as much as I personally freak out about the state of the world and what we're doing to the environment and the polarization in politics and the wealth gap and the, you know, I mean, I have like the entire list that I can freak out about every day over coffee. Um, But there is a trust. There is a trust that this is, even this is part of the human game. Even this is part of what it means to be alive, is to be alive in a time when things that you don't understand are coming toward you mm. and you have to, this is like my cat <laughs> yeah. and you have to, you have to respond and you respond out of your sensate nervous system. You respond out of the images that have been sort of put into you by the medium that you have, whether it's your parents or culture or TV that's what it means to be alive. This is what being alive is. And there's a compromise in that. You know, when you were talking about going out in nature, right? My experience, and there's a bunch of woods around here, but I mean, the woods are sick in some ways, these woods, you know, the, the, the growth isn't, this is not the original Hudson Valley with the giant thick trees and the Hudson Valley School of Painting. This is, and so I go in the woods and it's a bit like, uh, 
you know, whether or not I'm tripping, uh, I can walk through the woods and then start out here I am with nature, but then just start noticing all the various incursions of man into this right. thing and the, the problems with it. And, oh, look, there's no undergrowth and no this, and there's overgrowth of that, and this path is here, and oh, look at those bricks that came from somewhere, and a plastic on the ocean, and those animals don't look right, and this looks mangy, and um, and then it's all over. And then, you know, and then you become like one of those tech bros, and it's like, oh, well, it's okay. I'm taking my G5 jet down to the Amazon. We found this spot of untouched Amazon that we're going to go touch, uh, <laughs> you know, with my Patagonia no. windbreakers and special <laughs> high-tech clamping tools, right? And, and walk around in this pristine something. And it's like, even that almost uh, uh, totalizing, that, 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 that quest for total purity of, you know, of nature. And it's like, dude, that is what's killing nature in itself. But accepting, no, then this is, all right, if you don't like the woods, then let's think about how to make her healthier again. The woods mm -hmm. right here. Don't get on a plane. Mm -hmm. This is nature. This is alive. This is... Mm -hmm. It's no, it's not mm -hmm. the way you saw it in that movie about Yosemite, but yeah, and then you go, you know, there's this idea um, in some traditions of a sit spot. You go, you find a place in nature, and you go every day through all the seasons. Spend a year mm. every day. You visit a place, and you see. Then you become familiar with the life of that place, and you, you know, after a while, that you put, you take this stone and you put it over there. It's some, um, and it's really, I, I'm sort of like winding us, because <laughs> we're like going on and on, I'm sort of winding us into like a summation and we keep ballooning out. Um, Sorry. It's okay. Uh, but it's um, what you said in the beginning of just stop it, just stop, <laughs> just like, just like stop, just like don't keep the, it just even the game of, Oh, the woods aren't as healthy as they should be. Oh, that's a problem. Oh, I'm worried. Oh, I should do something about it. Oh, I'm going to write a letter. Oh, I'm going to go to my city council. Maybe I'll run for mayor. Oh, you know, it's like you can wind out everywhere with what's wrong. And there's plenty to wind out about. But there's also this radical not giving up on like being a responsible menschy citizen, but this radical just like can I be with what is right here and relax into it and just maybe take some time and let it notice me that I'm, I'm here, you know? Not right, before imposing my great intellectual male techno solution exactly. to this problem, which I know how to fix with my day of exposure <laughs> to the horror. You know, exactly. You know, and it's what you said about Leary is, you know, don't impose drugs on people who don't want them, you know, and right. talk about, you know, Western rational thought, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, it's just, it's really, can we relax out of the imposition of ourselves out of our own anxiety and loneliness? Right. Can we relax out of that? And turn it into art. I mean, that's probably the best thing to do with your loneliness and your, yeah. you know, as you were saying about Bo. Yeah, there's a, it's sort of like you're talking not about the thing, but a way of being in relationship with the thing that I think is, you know, that's 
you keep saying it over and over and over and over and over again, not that you're repeating yourself because every time you say it new, but what it is, is like, there's, there's things that are real and it's real, and it's really nice to be with the things that are real. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, it's back to almost in some ways as a media theorist, the medium is the message. I don't care about the content of someone's speech. I care about the comportment with mm-hmm. which they engage with me. That's everything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why we're friends. Because mm. <laughs> really, that's the, you know, there's a melody to how we're connecting. Mm. It's got a little bit of Jew in it. You know, it's got a little <laughs> bit of Altkaka in it. You know, but it's, it's, there's a melody to it. There's a, a cadence. And we're looking for that melody in the world. We're looking for the call and response, this feeling. You know, loneliness isn't going and scoring some other thing called another person. It is this feeling of seeing and being seen, you know? It's the call and response. It's the feeling of echolocution. It's like, I'm here and I'm here in this and I can be beneficial to this and this is beneficial to me. And, and that feeling, it's like grab onto that like it's the last lifesaver on the Titanic because it is, you know, that is the thing to... Um, that's going to get us through whatever this is that and hang out with young people because they probably know a lot more than you do. How about that for a summary statement? Beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. It's the essence of existence. (laughs) It is. It's the essence. Douglas, it's embarrassing to say this to you publicly in front of everybody, but I do adore you. You know that. Oh, and I adore you. Yeah. It's true love. It's true, true love. love. <laughs> yeah, right. There's, there's not many molecules being shared, but I mean, really, it's like yeah. everybody needs a friend like you that you could just, you know, that call mm. and response that, like, I get it. I get it. I get it. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. This and that. Yes, and, and over yeah. Here. Yeah. yeah. Look over here. And what about that? Mm-hmm. And did you see that bird? And, you know, it's like that feeling, mm. that feeling. And it comes, as you say, with friends. I think friends more than that projection of like the people of the opposite sex or the same yeah. sex or, or some sex that you're going to own and peg to you. It's just that, that feeling. It's a feeling to be when the world is a feeling. So thank you. Thanks for feeling with me. Yeah. <laughs> Namaste. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to a Cher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.